It's been a week of tears. Uh, one of our precious friends, Phil Steinberg, a uh, member over at the Vintage Club, lost uh, dear Thelma. They uh, celebrated 75 years of marriage last year. 75 years. And I got a... What's that? Mic's, my mic's not on? Oh, it's not loud enough, they say. Oh, well, it was too loud when I first walked up. Okay, we're working this through here. A momentary glitch. Are we getting better here? Thumbs down, thumbs up. A little tinny sounding. Oh, there we come. We're coming, we're coming. You know, one day we're going to have a one day we're going to have a building, and all this is going to be set in stone. They're not going to have to set up everything, tear it down by faith. We're going to have a building. It's just been, you know, that that last song was really a. For me, I know it's a little bit hard to sing along. That was kind of our our worship together song, but I just I just really want to do that to think about. There is going to be a day where there are no more tears. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. We're going to talk about creation, and I'll tell you I'll tell you why. Uh, that effort was made. Um, I fit, we've been working through the parables of Jesus. And as we've done that, what's happened is we get into some of this kind of esoteric stuff and it's, uh, it's a little bit ascetic. And what does that mean? Uh, asceticism is uh, like the severe mortification of the body. Oops, we're going to get there. I need to move that up, down, what do we need to do here? Um, the severe mortification of the body, like, I cannot enjoy the material realm. I'm just not going to enjoy the material realm. And, you know, the Bible has some aspects to which that sounds right. I mean, what did we look at last week? First John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world, because if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. What is the love of the world? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful part of life. And we looked at Jesus, in my view, of why he told the parables that he told, the order of the parables and how he told them, and he was really confronting, he was really confronting the Pharisees' love of the world. Well, what does that mean? What is our reaction to that? We don't like the world. We don't love the world. I don't love a good sunset. I don't love, I don't love, a, I, I love a nasty car that breaks down on the way. I love you know, $50 suits. I love whatever. I mean, and then a lot of times we deal with these passages and yet we go home and we live in the Coachella Valley. And a lot of you have, we'll just say an abundance of suits. I asked myself once, I said, now Jeff, do you want 10 suits, $99 suits or do you want $1,000 suit? And after my $1,000 suit wore out, I got 10 $99 suits, but anyway. <laughs> But uh, we're going to need some help as we try to work through this, okay? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we want to get a biblical balance to understanding what you created was good, and yet we're not to love the world. And where and there's a, is there a duality there? Lord, we want to understand this. We don't want to live in this kind of half-in, half-out world where we maybe even feel guilty about enjoying the things that we enjoy, but we, at the same time, don't want to move into some kind of relationship with you that demands everything be top-notch, perfectly in order. Lord, we want to be like the Apostle Paul where he said, I've learned to be content. 
both in abundance and in lack. Where is this balance? Is there a balance to be found? Are you just going to leave us hanging with this sense of, well, kind of guilt or, I don't know, dissonance in our own mind? Lord, we need your help this morning. So I'm asking that you would send the Holy Spirit, that you would speak as I have prayed this morning, that you would speak through uh, this, this mouth that's been restored but also fallen, which is also a duality, Lord, just a vessel, and I pray that you would communicate to your people so that we could enjoy your incredible creation while at the same time not loving the world. How do we do that? Lord, help us understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the na- this was originally going to be this morning, but as, t- as typified by the way I think, I got up this morning. First of all, I get up. I try to do my five-mile run before service. Did I say five-mile run? I meant walk to the kitchen to get a cup of coffee is what I meant. But anyway, I pray, I ask the Lord, I said, Lord, what do you want? What, what do you want to say to your people? What is it that you have for them? And, uh, and I got up this morning and I just, I had, you know, I had an outline and I didn't even, I wasn't even going to do an outline because I, I didn't get it till late in the week. I told the guys, I'm just going to kind of freestyle. I've got a bunch of stuff in my head. I'm just going to trust the Lord gets it out. And then on Friday, I kind of felt guilty, and I got them an outline so they could do something. And then this morning, I got notes, and I'm writing down ideas, and I don't even know if I'll get to them. But the point is, there's a lot going on in my head because I've been thinking about this for a, a period of time. Because my, my goal was, when we finished, is not have you walk away going, oh, you know, I, maybe I love the world. Maybe I see things. Maybe my house is too big. Maybe my car is too fast. Maybe I could give more. Maybe it should be more like Mother Teresa. Maybe I... How, what do I do? What do I do? And so this evolved out of that, all right? So there's four points that I want to make over the next couple of weeks. Number one, creation, God's creation was and continues to be good. Let me say that again. God's creation was and continues to be good. Creation reveals the very nature of God. It's revelatory. It gives us insight into the unseen realm. It gives us insight into things that we cannot see. We see that over and over, both in the teaching and the parables of Jesus and many other places in Scripture. I'm going to take you to a few of those this morning. They give us insight into the unseen realm. How could that be bad? In other words, creation points towards the very nature of the Creator Himself. This is not pantheism, meaning God is the tree and God is the rock and God, this is a distinctively different thing than that. But it is a, it is a pointing, it is a, it's a display of the very glory of God. And then next week we're going to look more, but creation can very easily become an idol and it can easily be worshipped. And then lastly, I'm going to make a pretty provocative statement. Next week, we'll look at it, that this ascetic idea, this idea that we need to kind of mortify the body, that anything down here we cannot enjoy, we're waiting for the ultimate, there will be a day where there are no more tears. And I'm going to even go beyond that asceticism is not biblically and theologically accurate. I'm going to go as far as to say asceticism is actually demonic in nature. And uh, so you'll want to come next week for that one. So number one, creation is good. I think most of us know Genesis chapter one. In the first couple of chapters of Genesis, we actually get this refrain seven times. Seven's a very important number in terms of Hebrew thought. It's a number of completion. Over and over we see, and it was good. And then finally it culminates, Genesis one verse 31, 
it culminates in God saw all that he had made, all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, very good. And there was evening and there was morning and there was the sixth day. So not only did God see the individual parts of his creation as being good, he saw the totality of his creation from galaxies and stars and black holes and uh, gamma rays and all the way down to the infinitesimally small, the atomic realm and maybe even the subatomic realm and the dimensions that we've not even yet really realized. And if, again, if string theories holds accurate, then there may be 11 dimensions, 21 dim different dimensions. We live in four, space, time, right? We live in space, time. And there's, so what is it? I mean, there's so much out there, and it's screaming revelation of God. And it's good for any number of reasons. Well, then how, why does the Bible, why do the New Testament authors especially begin to get into this? Don't love, you know, set your mind on the things above. Don't set your mind on the things of the earth. And, and, and over and over, we get that kind of refrain. And I, th I felt like we as a church maybe got that. Uh, it, it ends in kind of being this aesthetic quality that, or, or this asceticism that seeps in. And then all of a sudden, we kind of, well, it should be that way, but I'm really going to enjoy watching the game this afternoon. Or I'm going to enjoy spending time with my wife, and we're going to have a nice dinner. No, we're not going to have a nice dinner. We're going to go get a lousy fast food dinner, and then we're going to wait till it's cold, and we're going to sit out on the curb, maybe in the rain, and eat it. And that'll please the Lord, because there's no way we could actually love the world if we were to do that. I mean, what is it? Which is it? I think often of being at a party, and so if I go, I get invited often to parties, and sometimes, a lot of times, they're at you know, country club kind of stuff. I just end up doing a lot of ministry in that area as a former golf professional. And, and I go in, and should I not enjoy this? Should I not enjoy this wonderful, high-grade piece of meat? Should I not enjoy? And, and yet, at the same time, I also think, but I'm all, because I'm a follower of Jesus, I also don't love the world. There's a duality here, and I'll tell you what it is. Yes, I can enjoy the setting I can enjoy the company. I can enjoy uh, the beautiful food. I can enjoy all of that. God's good creation because it's good. But at the same time, I can also be in mourning. Why? Because I know what's going on behind the scenes with that couple over there who don't yet know Jesus. And I know their marriage is crumbling. And I know what he's doing behind her back. And I know, I know their relationship with their children. And I know all these different things are going on in my head. And at the same time, this for me is how I begin the process of trying to hold both. I'm both enjoying the creation. That is not, not, that is not love of the world. I, what I don't love is God's good creation in its fallen state. And in that sense, I do not love the world. I cannot because of all the derivatives that come out of a fallen world. All the tears, all the pain, all the disease, all the death. And I have a task in front of me to reconnect people to at least begin the process of reconnecting with their creator. And in that, there is a mourning. So I both am enjoying and mourning at the same time. At the same very time, yes, I can enjoy God's creation because it was and it continues to be good, continues to be good. Some man named Hugh Welchel, and 
he, he thought deeply about this, and he quoted a guy named John Schneider in an article he wrote, and listen to what he says about the creation. The creation that God majestically called forth into being is good. It is good in its individual parts. It's good as a whole, as an integrated system. In fact, in this integrative cosmic sense, the text informs us that God declared it to be very good. But how do we find God's original intent? Well, the original intent that God would be glorified through his creation. We get that over and over and over. Let me say that again. One of the aspects of creation that make it so good is because it is putting God's glory on display. And that's a, a, the first part of this message, which will be this week. I want to talk to you about how the very glory of God is put on display through the creation. First of all, we might ask, what is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? Well, in the Hebrew, it's a sense of absolute uh, everything. It's completely full. Everything to display God's glory means there's nothing lacking at all in God's glory. Nothing. If you think about, and I was talking about this this week as I was teaching one evening, and, and uh, if you think about the Godhead and that the Godhead was, is co-eternal, it's a very hard understanding, this Trinitarian notion that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all mutually compatible and, and lo in love with one another. I know that sounds fine, funny, but God is in love with himself. You say, well, what do you mean by that? You don't think God loves the Father and the Father... I mean, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit, and there's a subservience. There's this, there's this mutual indwelling. Theologians talk about this mutual indwelling, and they, were complete, they did not need creation. They were completely content within themselves, and within themselves came all joy, all joy, all knowledge, all power. Everything, everything was already contained within the Godhead. You say, why creation? Have you ever asked that? Why did God need creation anyway? What is it about why create something when it was already perfectly content within the, the eternal Godhead? I mean, Micah 5, 2 said that Jesus had been, from, this one would be coming from the tribe of Judah. Um, 500, I mean, close to 700 years before the time of Jesus, he would come from the tribe of Judah, be born in Bethlehem. And his comings and goings have been from all of eternity. Why creation? And then why did God take on flesh and then come down and die for this creation? Why? I mean, you have to have asked that question before. Or maybe you're not a believer in Jesus and you, and you go, well, that's just a ridiculous story to me. What is it about creation that was necessary for God to have? Well, was it necessary? I guess no, but in some ways it was because the illusion see this as overflow. I believe it's overflow. It was almost without being able to be contained. There's so much love and so much joy and so much knowledge, and God is a giver by nature, and so creation emerges to display his glory, not for his ego, but for the well-being of his creation itself. Think about that for a minute. Why creation? And why? Why? To display who he is because he's insecure? Of course not. 
It's for the beauty. He's, you know, if you want to know what Christianity is, it's an invitation into this cosmic dance with the Godhead. That's what that is. To share his glory. We are created. We are never going to be the creator. But to be able to share in God's glory into this beautiful, romantic, exciting, knowledge-filled, joy-filled. I love the way that one of the theologians puts it, and he says, we will be chasing the infinite as the finite, and we will never catch him. It's a beautiful picture. So, again, let me ask, we know that creation is good. We believe that creation is good. We believe, as we'll see in the next coming weeks, that creation is to be enjoyed by the creator. He was not going to give us appetites and suppress them. If you have an appetite, there's a purpose for that. If I'm hungry, there's food. If I, if I have sexual desire, there's, there's the design of marriage. If I, I mean, God has beautifully given us the ability to fulfill the appetites that he has given us. But in a fallen world, those get massively distorted. Massively distorted. And it causes pain for everyone. So in that sense, the world system, we shouldn't love the system that causes so much pain in so many people's lives. And I want to talk to you and take you to some scriptures about how the creation actually reveals the very nature of God. Are you with me? Anybody asleep? Punch your neighbor gently in the name of Jesus and wake them up. Wake them up. Revelation 4.11. We don't have it. Sorry, guys. I didn't give it to you. thought of it this morning. You are worthy... O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. The Lord gets pleasure out of his creation. Think about that. And that means you. You say, well, I don't think I please the Lord. I don't think I'm that much of a pleasure. You are in your pursuit of Jesus. You are in your faith life. What a, he's so pleased with you as you pursue him in faith. Every step you take, every, every time that you resist the tempter, every time that you make a decision to be a Jesus person, and we know that those emerge thousands of times every day in very small, sometimes, oftentimes, imperceptible ways. We want to be like Jesus. And in a sense, we then crucify what we think we want for what we think he would want. And in doing so, it's a glory. It gives pleasure to the, cre to the creator of the universe. The, create, the creation truly, truly. Listen, I, I love this too, and he's a uh, Cornelius Plantinga. Listen to what he says. He defines, uh, eventually we're looking for shalom is what we're looking for, right? We're looking for peace. Listen to what he says. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. That's shalom. It means universal flourishing, wholeness. And delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. Shalom, in other words, shalom is the way things ought to be. And then, and the more they, the closer they get to the way they ought to be, the more God is glorified and as a result revealed. Does that make sense? The closer we get to shalom through Jesus, the more God's nature is revealed. It's why he gives us the church. 
You can't do it independently. Christ is the head and we are the body. If you want the world to see Jesus, you need to see the body of Christ. And that means integrated, together. You have to see that. If you can't, you're going to only see refractions of the nature of Jesus. If you're an independent person, you've got to be part of a community. It's the church, and it gives people a revelation of the very nature of God, even though, well, we are created beings. He goes on to say, The full flourishing of human life in all aspects, as God intended to be, that's what ought to be. And Jesus came and he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember, gates are defensive. So what the church is going to do is it's going to break down the gates and go to that party, enjoy God's creation, while at the same time mourning the system that causes the devastation of the tears and the pain and all the human suffering because of our self-will. Does that make sense? So again, the created order is a revelatory picture. So I am called through the church to be a revelation to the world. Remember in John 17 where Jesus talked about, Lord, I pray that they would become one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. The closer we become unified, the closer we began to resemble Jesus, the more his nature is revealed through the creation. So that's us as individuals. But what about just the cosmic order? What about planets and stars and fish and birds and all that? What about that? Does that too reveal the very nature of God? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Listen to Joe Rigney, wrote a great book. He says, creation itself is revelatory. And this revelation, well, it's not sporadic. It's not occasional. It's not restricted to one corner of reality. God's revelation of himself in creation is pervasive and it's constant. John Calvin said, seek to read creation with the spectacles of scripture. See, when I look I began to see through the created order. Would you, would, would you really be able to even understand if God just began to list his attributes apart from something? Uh, like Jesus' teaching, observe the, you know, observe the birds, how they, you know, God's providing for them. Observe, and the sower went out to sow, and, 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 and. It gives us a picture, a glimpse into the unseen realm. It's so helpful to have a word picture, to have a, something to see that actually reveals the very nature of God. Psalm 19, Psalm 19. I want you to look at this. We're going to look at this a little bit more closely than maybe you've looked at it before. And I don't think I'm going too deep. I don't think I'm diving too deep and trying to you know, glean nuggets that aren't really there. I think they're there for all to see. Psalm 19 is a place where we can see the very created order of God and we can see how it reveals not only God's nature in humility, believe it or not, it, it reveals his nature of humility if you go deep here. And it also reveals his omnipotence, his power, his, his just extraordinary, well, he just is everything. He doesn't need anything. He's self-contained, but somehow he creates. And then this is what we get. And this is, this is David thinking about this. Psalm 19, listen. Listen. 
Verse 1, the heavens. That just means the sky from the ancients' view. They would look out. They couldn't fathom. There are two trillion galaxies. They couldn't fathom that. They just see some twinkling stars, and they would study them, and they would realize, and for that, from their perspective, the sun would rise and the sun would set. They, they couldn't have imagined that we were, you know, the earth was in some kind of cycle, not only a daily spin, but a slow spin around the sun. They, they couldn't have understood that, but they could see the created order, and this is what he says. I think it's even more magnificent now. You have more an ability to worship God now through the revelation of nature now than they did because we know so much more and it's so much more profound than they could have ever understood. The heavens are telling of the glory, the, the kabod, the kabod. It's the copiousness, meaning it's just so full, it can't be any fuller. The glory of God and their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Now think about that. Every single day I wake up, I can go out, and what he's saying is the heavens can, are speaking. Have you had that experience? Where it, 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 Look, some of these things are very difficult to even quantify. But my friend Sid this morning, he was sitting in his hot tub. He didn't know what I was going to be preaching on. And uh, I'm assuming you had a cup of coffee, Sid. I, he and Judy are here. But he said, I'm just looking out and worshiping as I look at God's creation. Have you had those moments where you, I cannot imagine, and I've said this before, but I cannot imagine seeing some of the things I've seen. Uh, the Sabos invited us to go up to Montana, and we went up to Glacier National Park. The whole family went up there. And kind of we were climbing this little steep thing. And, come, and I've seen a lot of Rockies and I've seen a lot of mountains and I've seen a lot of sunsets. But there were a few th times that I just went, <coughs> it's just like I can't breathe. It's just so unbelievable. And immediately I thought about what a wonderful cosmic accident. <laughs> we're just so lucky that all this kind of, and the fact that I have eyes that were, you know. No, what did it, what did it do? It's like a ray it's like C.S. Lewis used to talk about being in the shed, the tool shed. These rays of light come through, and they, they'll show, you give us sight of something, but we look back up through the ray, and what we do is we look all the way back up to the Creator. It's a revelation of the very God who created it. Or I reject it, I become an idolater, I love the world system, I cut myself off from His presence or the knowledge of who He is, and guess what happens? It becomes, eh, it's interesting, cosmic accident. I don't want that in my life. I just, it takes my breath away. It pours forth speech about the nature of God. First of all, it just says he's unbelievable. <laughs> just, I mean, if he has that kind of power, would I not, how could I not trust that kind of power that can speak into existence Ex nihilo, which means out of nothing, if he can speak into existence what we know to be true, thank you, Webb Telescope, James Webb Telescope, out of nothing, but I won't trust him with my life or my finances or my marriage or my, I just can't trust him with all that. It, it tells me something about his capacity to be able to handle everything. It's pouring forth speech in that way and many other ways. 
and many you could come up with yourself. He goes on to say, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's knowledge that's pouring forth from the created order. Don't say the created order is bad. I'm not gonna, not gonna see, I'm not gonna taste, I'm not gonna listen. I, no, 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 Lord, just keep me safe till I get to be in heaven where I can also look at your created order. No, it's not. It, it reveals knowledge about God. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed... Now, I think this is where I'm going to dive in a little bit here because I think it's just more than just revealing his, his power. It also is revealing his plan. Listen to what it says. He says, placed a tent for the sun. Now, before we go any further... So he's, he's describing it as this, this beautiful heavenly realm, and it's a tent for the sun. Okay, so we get that picture. And then Jesus comes along in, in John 8 and John 9, says, I'm the light of the world. What is the light of the world, the earth anyway? It's the sun. So in some ways, Jesus is kind of saying, I'm the sun. I am the light. Or remember what we did during Christmas, and we looked, as we were looking at Isaiah, and Isaiah said, out of darkness and gloom and anguish will come a great light, speaking of, and, and a child will be born to us and we'll call him Prince of Peace and Eternal Father and, and all that. Jesus is claiming to be the light. He's claiming to be the light by which we can see all of reality. Now, this is a thousand years before the time of Jesus, and listen again to what he says. He says, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Now, if you know the word at all, you'll know that the church, you'll know that the church is what? The church is the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom. Okay, here again, you get these, it, these, this language, these metaphors, we put them up. This is kind of like this, right? And, and you can see these things, and it says, uh, which is, a, it's like this. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, his kupa in the, in the Hebrew there, which is kind of like a little canopy, and it says it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. Now, some, some would just read over that, but I, I cannot just read over that. I see too many similarities. The language is consistent in Scripture. Bridegroom and son. And it tells me a number of things. It tells me that Jesus is also a strong man. He is, well, what did Daniel see? All dominion and power and authority. Yes, he was born as a baby in a manger, but now he sits in complete authority. He's the cosmic Christ, Paul describes in Colossians. All things have been turned over to him. He is the king of everything. Nothing escapes his heat. Nothing. And he will come back and he will set up everything and it will be... Well, there will be a day, as we sang. There will be a day where there will be no more tears. He has that kind of authority and that kind of power. But there's something else that gives me insight, speaks to me. And it also speaks to me about my own destiny. It's that it's like this, it's this strong man, the sun, it comes out and it runs its full circuit. First of all, it lets me know that Jesus completed the task for which the Father had sent him. He ran his course all the way to the end. 
And what did he say right before he breathed his last? It is finished. And then in some senses, the sun went down. And literally, as he's being crucified, the sun had been by eclipse and everything was darkened. So when he finished his circuit, it gives me, it, it's, here's the created order. It's the sun. It's, you know, and it, but it gives me knowledge of, and again, this is a thousand years before Jesus. There's coming a bridegroom. He's, his heat is going to be as the sun, his light for the world, and he's going to finish his course. And he did. He did. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside. So, wait a minute. Let us also. In other words, I have a circuit to run. I want to get to the end of my life, and I'm not, I wouldn't be so bold as to try to be like Jesus and say, it is finished. But in a sense, I want to look at my life and say, it's finished. I've run my course. I've run my... You see that language through Pauline theology all the way through. Don't look back. Keep looking forward. Forget what lies behind. You know, he uses sports metaphor and every other thing. And Jesus, he says, okay, we, we also are going to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Getting caught up in the fallen world and not caring. You know what happened with the... Remember when we looked at the rich man... And this parable we finished with last week, and it, it just describes him as habitually living in splendor every day. And my position was he's just chasing happiness. But because it had become idolatry, he was unable to see the poor beggar just outside his door. He just couldn't see it. He didn't have eyes to see. He was caught up in worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Because when we worship the creator... All of a sudden, light pours in, and we recognize that we're here for a purpose, and we recognize pain when it's around us. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever gone out to dinner with somebody, and you just can't imagine the way they treat the waiter or the waitress or something, or, or something, and you're just going, how is that even possible that they can do that? They're just trying to pursue their happiness, and if their meal is served a little late, or it's a little bit cold, or it wasn't the way they had it last time, and, you know, when they were at, you know, the Velvet Turtle or something, the salmon was not cooked like that. And, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And, and you just say, their pursuit of happiness, 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 happiness. And then here's pain and suffering. They can't see it. Can't see it. So he's saying, we need to lay all that, that stuff aside. That's love of the world. You're imagining that the worship of that, the creation, is somehow going to satisfy you. The creation, enjoy it, but it's pointing. It's that sunlight, that ray that comes down, it points back to the creator. And in worshiping the creator, you'll now also recognize the pain and the suffering around you. It entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want to finish my circuit. I can't. I cannot tell you how important I believe this is. I was talking to Laura this week about what I can... I was just saying, Laura, I, I think Christian maturity is not how much Bible you know. Mature believers, the more mature, typically they know more of the Bible, but it's not defined by that. 
So if I was to try to say, what is one characteristic of someone who is really mature, someone I can trust, hopefully the elders at this church, the pastoral staff, anybody in a position of leadership, what is the maturation level? It's somebody who can endure suffering, either somebody disses them or they, they're disrespected or they, or they get upset about something. And it's not that they don't have the emotions, but they have the ability to be able to deal with and get through and maintain some unity. Most people just jump from relationship, relationship, church to church to church, relationship to relationship to relationship, and they just go because they're never... But maturation is finishing a circuit that God's called you to finish. He's put you on a particular trajectory, and I want to finish it. It doesn't matter how I feel today or if somebody offended me or anything else. I want to finish my circuit. They're so... They're so a mature believer is, has such a sense of stewardship that like Jesus, who exited his chamber as the bridegroom and rose and then eventually sat, he finished his course. I want to finish my course. And I know that I'm, gonna, I'm going to need grace to finish my course, and I'm going to need to extend grace to those around me. I'll remember, I'll never forget this. Jeff Hopper, many of you know, he was my 20-year ministry partner in Links, of which I am still involved. And Jeff had made a, we, for some reason, we came into a real, and I felt offended by something he did. I'm sure he felt offended by me. And, and, and you know, we, it felt like an impasse. And I remember a conversation we had, and I, and I just stopped once, and I said, Jeff, I said, we're going to get through this. Because if we don't have the resources to get through this together, then what we're preaching is a bunch of hypocrisy. We have the resources, but I feel like I'm not understood. I, I'm not utilized. I'm not, you know, I'm not respected. I'm not whatever. All these things. And this doesn't just happen in the context of a ministry relationship. It has to talk Context of a marriage, a context with your kids, context with your neighbor, context with just about everything. If I don't have the resources to walk through this, even if I'm 99% right in my mind and 1% wrong, that I will go and apologize and I will humble myself. Why? Because Jesus was nailed on a cross, naked, brutally beaten. That's my pattern. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so e easily entangles us. It drives me crazy to see all the church disputes and splits. And I know it's fallen humanity, but there's no excuse for it. We have the resources to finish our course. And, and by God, by the grace of God, I'm going to finish my course. And there's all kinds of things that I, I have wanted to quit over and over and over, but I but I look at the sun, and the sun's like, I'm tired today. You know, I've been, I've been, I've been out here watching this earth, or, you know, it's the earth moving. I understand that. But as, in a, as a literary device, you know, I'm really tired of shining all this. And I, they, they give me no respect. And now people are wearing sunscreen all the time. They don't even want anything to do with me, right? <laughs> Say I cause cancer and all that kind of thing, you know? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's what nature does. It reveals in this way the very nature of God. Could creation be bad? That's what he's looking at. That's what he's looking at. 
And so finally, he says, what do we do to do this? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, meaning finished his circuit, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It is finished. Do you think of your life in those terms? The creation, the heavens would encourage you to think of your life in those terms. It's speaking to us today. Knowledge is pouring forth day by day. So this is one example. I've used the next example. Just, I've used this example so many different times uh, through the ministry. Many of you know, I mean, we've been doing church here together for a few years but uh, been in ministry for over two decades and, and uh, primary kind of as a missionary and going into these different places through the platform of golf. Many of you know that, some of you don't. But I've used this a lot because it reveals, it reveals, the, it gives me insight into how I can finish my race, okay? So again, here's nature, the creation, giving me revelation into understanding how I should act and behave and what I should set my mind on. Can't, the question is, again, is creation good or bad? It's great. It was good when he created it. And it's also, it's also a revelation of God, and it's also a revelation to me about how I can conduct my life. Let me give you an example. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Went through an almost five-year study with a bunch of you men. Five years going through the book of Proverbs, and we're still not finished. We've got two more chapters. We started in chapter 10. We went all the way to 30, came back. We're about through eight. We've got nine and ten left. And I told him the other day, I'm the only one who's been here for every single one of these. None of you have been. <laughs> but Proverbs 30, we went through a number of uh, months back. Listen to this. Four things are small on the earth. So what he's doing is he's saying, look, these are, this is the created order. These things are on the earth. This is the scene realm. But they are exceedingly wise. In other words, the creation, not just the stars, not just the sun, but all of creation can speak forth and instruct us. That's what he's saying. The ants are not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. So number one, they're not very big, but they're amazing. Watch the ant. Proverbs 6 says, observe the ant. Look at the ant. The ant is remarkable to me anyway. I don't know how they get in my house. I get this little island. I come on. I mean, it's like they're, they're not an ant to be found. I don't see an ant for months. And then you leave one Rice Krispie from my grandson on the, on the thing. And the next morning, there's like, there's just like ants. And then they have this little trail. And, and you can see they got that Rice Krispie. They got about 10 of them on their back. And they're like this, trying to get that Rice Krispie. It helps with their marshmallow because then they can stick to their back and they're easy to carry. But, you know... So how does this, observe the ant. See how hard the ant works? See how prepared the ant is? Do you ever want to do anything? How are you going to finish your circuit if you're not prepared? I mean, this gives me a lot of insight. The creation is good. Observe the created ant. Are you prepared? I mean, not many people start a significant business or, or, have a, or, or whatever it may be. And never did any preparation. I said, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I worked hard. I went to Duke, and I got my MBA, and then I did an internship with such and such, and finally, and then somebody comes along, and, 
and it says, well, you don't deserve all that. You have no idea all the preparation I've done to get to this place. Have you ever had that conversation made with some kids? I mean, that's kind of the whole thing about socialism. People don't see how hard you sometimes have to work to get to apply. Observe the amp. It's so prepared. Here's the created order showing me how important that is. Number two, it says the, uh, the badgers, uh, Shephanim, the badgers are not mighty folk, but they make their house in the rocks. What does that mean? Well, Jesus comes along, builds your house on this rock. When the winds blow, he's the rock in the Old Testament. He's the, rock, the, stumble, he's the cornerstone that they stumbled over because they didn't believe, as God had already prophesied they wouldn't. I mean, he's the rock that Moses struck. Moses struck the rock and out came water. They struck Jesus and out came blood and water. I mean, Jesus clearly is the rock. So here again, a metaphor is used. You want to understand a little something about Jesus? Make your house in his camp. The badgers show us that. The badgers show us that. The created order shows us. Look at the ant. Now look at the badger. What are you building your life on? Again, some thousand years before the time of Jesus. Jesus comes along and says, I'm the rock. You build your life, you build your life on this? What would you say, Peter? I am the Christ. Is that what you said? Thou art Christ, son of the living God. Well, you're the little rock, but on that rock, what you just said, I'm going to build my whole church based on that statement you just made, which is, well, Jesus is the rock. And then the locusts have no king, and yet all of them go out in rank. See, that's one thing. I, I, I've dealt with boards and, and groups and stuff, and I say I've dealt with them, and they've dealt with me too, so it's not, I don't just not say that in a condescending way. But sometimes you get business guys coming in and they, they start and they say, well, this is how we ran this business or this is how we ran this business. And everything has to be so orchestrated. So, you know, it just becomes, it becomes overwhelming. And yet then you look at the, the way the kingdom works. And if everybody's listening to the voice of the spirit, what happens? You're just like the locusts. They're just flying in ranks. How do they do that? How do those birds? I, just, so I, I was... Playing it, hitting a few balls at the night, and across the thing came this, this, you know, I thought that at first I thought someone was attacking me, but but because I made it hit such a bad shot. But there was these, there was the, the, these geese or whatever they were, and they, they were just in perfect formation. And, it, and there was, it didn't require a bullhorn or the oh, you're out of line over there, Ted, you know, get back in. We're right over the top of the hideaway, man. We want to impress these people. What are you doing? Oh, my God, he's out of the... They just... And the locusts are the same way. If we're being led by the Spirit, if you're on your knees, if you say, I'm on a circuit, I have to listen to the voice of the Lord, I, I want to be directed, guess what happens? Church at the Red Door flies. If everybody's doing their thing, just like the locusts. Then come in and take a field and just demolish it and nobody has to, hey, Frank, you're eating too much or you're not eating enough. We got an eating disorder over here with this one, you know? I mean, nobody, they just do it. It's programmed in and that's what a spirit-led life is. And then lastly, and this was what we've used with links forever. It gives us a picture into what God does sometimes and we see this in the patriarchs. We see with David, he was brought into the king's very chambers and played music for him and all this. And I always tell our, our folks at Lynx, I said, we're, we're just lizards 
A lizard you may grasp with the hands, yet you find him in king's palaces. Some of you have heard me teach on this. The lizard gets into your house. You don't step on them. It's, it's too messy. Cockroach is a different thing. Ants, maybe, whatever. But a lizard, you, my girl's in, he'd put him in a little thing, put him outside the house, put him in a little thing, put him outside. Same lizard can come out in 10 times. They love on him. They feed him. Then they put him outside. Then he comes back in. He, Though you can, but it's very tiny. We have some tiny, tiny lizards. You can grasp them with a the hand, but you find them in king's palaces. So here's nature showing me. See, I've used that verse to show me. I've used the created order to show me what my calling is for over two decades. Do you see what the, is the creation good? Yes, it has revelatory powers. Not just that God is unbelievable for being able to speak something into existence. More than that, it reveals his very nature. And this is going to be our segue into next week, and I literally am closing Romans 1, 19 through 25. Now, get this, because this, if, this, if you, have, you say, well, I think maybe, but I'm not so sure. Listen to what, this is exactly what Paul is saying. The created order is good. It's a revelation. Listen to what he says, verse 19, Romans 1, because that which is known about God is evident to everybody. Why? God made it evident to them. How does God make it evident to everybody that he exists, but not just that he's powerful. Three things. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes. You know, what I've learned through the Christ event and Psalm 19 is that Jesus finished his circuit, and boy, wasn't that a humbling experience. He endured the shame. Jesus felt shame being naked on a cross. He endured the shame for the joy that was set before him when he finished his circuit as the son as the bridegroom. That tells me something about the invisible attributes of the Godhead. Why would, the God take, why would God himself take on human flesh and come down and dwell and experience shame for his creation? All he has to do is just like an etch-a-sketch, say, I don't like that picture. Start all over again. And if you don't know what an etch-a-sketch is, you're too young to be here at Church of the Red Door. <laughs> so he... Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, now we've talked about that, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. And they didn't even give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Darkened, no sun, no sun in the circuit. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory, the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Crawling creatures are beautiful. Four-footed animals, but not when you worship them. Not when you make an eye. Hey, a beautiful meal is a wonderful thing, but not if I worship it to the point that I'm going to be upset or I can only eat this, or, or I only have this kind of lifestyle, or, or, or. Are you worshiping it? And we'll talk about next week. If you are worshiping it, here's going to be some telltale signs that you're worshiping the creation. You're not loving the creation because it gives you a revelation of the creator. And there are telltale signs when that's the case. <sighs> Glad I got through that. <laughs> Look, I, I just want us to have... I want you to walk away here today and I want you to have the full freedom
to enjoy God's creation. If you go out and have a meal, enjoy it with all of your might. But turn towards the Lord. Thank him. You know, one of the great sins, I've heard it said, is a lack of thankfulness. Why? Ah, I paid a lot of money for this. I just terrible food. I can't believe these greens. They're horrible. They used to be fast, and now our dues went up. And you know, we can just get way out. Of, we can get all twisted off, as a friend of mine from Texas says. I won't tell you who that is, Hollis Sullivan. But anyway, uh, the, we can't. So we can enjoy the creation, and we can mourn for the fallenness of the creation around us. Does that make sense? And then next week we'll look, and I'm going to tell you that this not only is a bad idea, but it's demonic if you say, I'm not going to enjoy God's creation. Because what you're essentially doing is you're looking at the giver of the gift and you're snubbing him. God does give you good gifts to enjoy, because Paul told Timothy that, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Now, we're going to close with this worship song, and I picked it because I've been say, I have been saving this and saving this because it's one of my absolute favorite songs in the whole world because, because it focuses on the creation. And when it does, I don't worship the creation. Oh, but I can worship the creator behind the creation. So we'll close with this. I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you have a wonderful day and go out and have a wonderful meal. And for you ascetics, I'll meet you at Taco Bell. Thank you.